0: i'm really excited there are trees up here i'm not even gonna lie i just we went to a tree farm and like that's my happy place in this world is surrounded by christmas trees so next year if we like move them like right here that'd be really fun um but i'm i'm still pretty pumped that there are trees in the building we're going to be in isaiah in hebrews today um, if you want to bookmark both of those two books we'll be in isaiah 28 to start but then we're going to spend a lot of time in hebrews so keep a thumb there keep a electronic bookmark there, whatever you want to do, um, but we'll be in those two books. I'll be reading from the ESV, in the, so there might be a lot of words, but please, if you don't have a Bible, if you need to use one or want to keep one, go ahead, take those, those are gifts to you guys, um, and if you would, just join me, and we're going to be in Isaiah 28, verses 14 through 17 to start. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Let's pray. God, what beauty is found in your words, what strength, what promise, what life. And we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for its unchanging nature. We thank you for its unflinching nature. And so as we prepare to enter this time of worship by engaging with your word, God, open our hearts to what you would teach us. Let this be a time that glorifies you, that draws us closer to your heart, uh, that breaks down any barriers we've put up. Let this be a time where we are fully submitted, submitted and surrendered to your spirit. We praise you and we celebrate you and we thank you for how good you are. And we ask that this time just be an offering with a fragrance pleasing to you. That this would be a time when our hearts are stilled and quieted and we get to be before you, just enjoying your presence. You alone are good, and we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in Christmas, right? We started Advent. A lot of you guys might have been expecting that we'd be doing an Advent series. And that's fine. Like I love Advent series. I love looking at everything leading up to the birth of Christ. But James and I were talking, James and I are going to be the two people preaching this month, and we were talking, hey, what are you doing for the month? What are you thinking? And we decided to do a joint series, right? We want to look at who Christ is, because we are called to know Christ. We are called to look like Christ. I've talked about this in the past. The word Christian was given to those people that looked like that teacher, Jesus Christ. How are we going to identify them? Let's call them Christian. So if we're called to be Christian and we're called to know Christ and to resemble Christ, then we need to be people that know Christ. So the story that leads up to Christ's birth is beautiful, but this morning we're going to start a couple hundred years before it in Isaiah, and then we're going to jump 33 years to the end of it, right? And every week this month we're going to be looking at a different aspect of who Jesus is because it is a burden on the heart of the leadership of this church that we are people who intimately, personally know Christ. So that's what I want to do this morning, okay? We're going to start with Jesus as the cornerstone. And in case the title didn't totally give it away, when God's talking about that cornerstone in Isaiah, there's the question, of okay, who's this cornerstone? What's, What's God referring to? And in 1 Corinthians 3.11, we see this. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This isn't a trick question. I want an answer. Somebody feel free to shout it out. Participation's cool. What's the purpose of a foundation or a cornerstone? Hold up a building. What else? How would you describe a foundation? Unnecessary, optional, right? Seems pretty important, essential. You want it to be stable. And so when we look at these words, we have to start from a place of understanding that Christ better be the foundation of our lives. Right, And I love, I love 1 Corinthians 3.11 and I love what Paul is writing in that chapter as people are looking at other people to place their faith and their confidence in. And Paul says, no, the foundation is Christ. And God back in Isaiah said, no, the foundation is Christ. Because if you read, I encourage you, read all of Isaiah 28 today. Because if you look at the first 13 verses, Isaiah is talking to the scoffers, right? That verse, that verse starts with in 14, listen, you scoffers. Isaiah is talking to, God's words are directed to the people who have placed their confidence, they've placed, it says they've placed their refuge, their shelter, their hope in lies and in falsehoods, and God says enough, he says you have built yourself on everything but what you're supposed to, and so God steps down, and or steps up, and he says look, this is it, I am the one who has laid a foundation. There aren't other options. This isn't a pick and choose. I am the one who has laid the foundation, a stone, a tested cornerstone, a precious cornerstone. Some translations say costly cornerstone of a sure foundation. And so that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at those three ways that God describes Jesus. And we need to ask ourselves, do these descriptions resonate with me? Is this how I would describe Jesus? Just think of how we describe Jesus. Jesus is our savior, our rescuer, our comforter. And that's absolutely true. He's a redeemer, he's our sanctifier, that's absolutely true. But do we ever stop and think about Jesus is tested? Do we ever stop and consider Jesus is precious? I mean, can you say that truthfully of your life that Jesus is precious in your life? Do we understand the cost of Christ? Do we understand that he is a sure foundation? Hopefully, at the end of this morning, we'll understand each of these a little bit more, and at the end, we'll get time to to really think on it and chew on it. But that's what I want to start with. I want to start with tested, because that's where God begins. Have you ever had something bad happen to you? Yes, you're human. You've had something bad happen to you. But have you ever had something bad happen to you? And someone who means well, they really do. People mean well, but they come to you and they say, Oh, I know just what you're going through. Oh, I, I know what that's like. Here's my advice. And they share their experience. And it's nothing like what you've been through, right? Like, you just lost a beloved family member, and they're like, yeah, I misplaced my car keys the other day. I know exactly what you're going through. And i went, no, you don't. Don't come to me in my time of grief. Don't come to me in my trouble and pretend like you know. And they mean well, but there's a disconnect there, and that's hard. The beautiful thing about a relationship with Christ is we'll never be able to say that to Christ. We will never be able to say to Christ, you don't know. You don't understand. Because Scripture tells us that Christ is a tested cornerstone. In what ways is He tested? I mean, when I talk about knowing Christ, I don't just mean knowing the good, happy parts. We need to know the entirety of Christ's life and His experiences. First, Christ was tested by temptation, right? He was tested by temptation in Hebrews, Hebrews 2.18. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you think about that? I mean, when was the last time you realized that Jesus sympathizes with your weaknesses? I think there's a temptation sometimes to try and hide our weaknesses from God, right? Like, oh, I, eh, don't don't look at me. no Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses, but we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we re- may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See it blows my mind when we're tempted and when we're going through trials and we Don't turn to Jesus, because Hebrews tells us, no, you have a high priest who is able to sympathize with you. He has been tempted in every way. He has suffered. So because of that, draw near to his throne to find mercy and grace. The times when we are so unlikely to turn to God are the times when we most need to fall before God. And in what ways was he tempted? Because we hear that and we think, eh, Jesus wasn't tempted like I was tempted. Well, he was tempted physically. Right? Satan offered him bread when he had to eat in 40 days. Jesus was tempted with physical weakness. Jesus was tempted mentally. Hey, this is what Scripture says, Jesus. No, no, this is what Scripture really says. He was tempted mentally. He was tempted emotionally. He was taken to the highest mountain and he was shown the land. And he said, I'll give you all of this. He was tempted mentally, physically, and emotionally. In every sense that the human body can be tempted. Jesus suffered that temptation. But he did not sin. He was tested, he's been proven true. Sam, that's great. That, it, look, we know you, you're a happy person. So you stand there joyfully, you stand there peacefully. If you had half the stress I have in my life, you wouldn't say that. If you had half the stress, if you had half the anxiety, if you experienced the, the mental torment and suffering that I'm going through, you, you don't know, you can't relate. I, I might not be able to, that's true. But Jesus can, because Jesus was tempted, and Jesus was tested with anxiety. I mean, think about it. Do you think about that? Do we talk, when we talk about the crucifixion, do we talk about Luke chapter 22? Where are my medical people? I'm going to need your help with this next slide. What is that massive, how do you pronounce that massive word to start? I'm dead serious. I have no clue how to pronounce it. Hematohydrosis? All right. Tomatohydrosis is a condition in which the blood vessels that feed your sweat glands rupture, causing you to sweat blood. This happens under extreme physical, mental, and emotional duress. Luke 22 records Jesus sweating blood. We've all been stressed. A couple weeks ago when I preached, I asked us to raise our hands. We all raised our hands. We've all been stressed. Has anyone been stressed to the point that they sweat blood? Jesus was. So when you look at the people around you and you say, you can't understand the anxiety and the stress I'm under, Jesus can because he's been tested. Sam, that's great. I wish I was going through stress. I'm in pain. I can't wake up. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can do nothing but focus on trying to manage the physical pain I'm in. I wish I was pain-free long enough to be stressed about my pain. But my life is defined by pain. You can't relate to that. I might not be able to. Jesus can. When we talk about Easter, we talk about the beauty of the resurrection, and it is beautiful. Don't ever, ever think I'm saying anything but the resurrection is beautiful. When do we take the time to think about how awful crucifixion was? I mean, when was the last time you took the time to contemplate how truly terrible crucifixion was? What's worse, something that hurts or something that's excruciating? Hurts or excruciating? Excruciating, right? You know where we get the word excruciating? Excrucio, out of crucifixion. See, what you experienced on the cross was so awful, they had to invent a new word to describe it. They were like, wow, what people experience on that, that's beyond pain. We don't even have the language for that. That's what Jesus went through. Cicero, if, you, if you're a fan of history, maybe you know the name Cicero, the famous Roman orator. He described crucifixion as this, a most cruel and disgusting punishment. He went so far as to say the very mention of the cross should be removed not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, his ears. Crucifixion was so horrific that they didn't even want their citizens acknowledging its existence. You want to talk about pain? Jesus knows pain more than anyone else in this world ever has. Go to him with your pain. He is a tested cornerstone. Sam, I wish, I wish it was physical pain. Do you know how happy I would be if it was physical pain? I would embrace physical pain because I carry emotional scars every day of my life. I lost a spouse. I lost a child. I lost a brother. I lost a sister. I lost a parent far too young. I've been abused. I've been neglected. I've been abandoned. The emotional pain and grief and loss I've experienced in this life is crippling and you just can't relate to that. I might not be able to. Jesus can. Because on that cross, Jesus bore the weight of the sin of the world. I mean, think about it. Think about the weight that your own sin is on you. Now imagine bearing the weight of the sin of the world. Jesus had a perfect relationship with God. God cannot be in the presence of sin. So when Jesus was on that cross, bearing the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders, he cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced God forsaking him so that you and I wouldn't have to. You want to talk about loss? Jesus knows loss better than anyone else. So yeah, these aren't the fun things to talk about when we we think about Jesus. But we need to know Jesus. We need to realize he is a tested cornerstone in every single sense of the word. And when we understand he's a tested cornerstone, the only logical option we have is to go to him because he's been tested and because he didn't sin, because he's been proven true. When he was on that cross experiencing that pain, you know where his thought was? Father, forgive them. I mean, he's experiencing pain more than anyone else in the world ever has, and his thought is on forgiveness for the people inflicting it on him. When he's in the garden sweating blood from his anxiety and his stress, his prayer is not my will but yours be done. See, Jesus was tested, in every single time Jesus' heart was focused on the Lord. So when we're going through tests, go to the cornerstone that is tested. What's the next way God describes the cornerstone? He describes it as costly. Other translations say precious. What a beautiful way to describe Jesus. We'll do costly first. There are a couple different ways to look at the cost of Christ. Listen to to this verse. I mean, listen to these verses. It, It is, read Hebrews this month, okay? As we're preaching through Jesus is, read Hebrews. Look at how Hebrews describes Christ in every chapter. Look at the beauty of it. This is in Hebrews 1, verses 3 to 4. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What in the world could you possibly describe in that way? Who else could you possibly describe as the radiance of the glory of God. The cost of sending Christ to die for us. No one has ever paid a higher price. He is costly in every sense of the word. He is costly in that it requires something to follow Him. There must be a cost to discipleship. We don't like to think about that in America. Be honest, we don't. I want to follow Christ. I just don't want to change my schedule, my behavior, my habits. My patterns. I want to change what I say, what I do, who I hang out with. But I want to follow Christ. No, there's a cost to following Christ. And third, when I think of cost, when I think of cost, I think of the fact that God looked at me and said, yeah, I'm going to send Jesus for him. I mean, the devil wants you to think you're worthless. The devil wants you to think you have no value. The devil wants you to look at yourself and hate yourself. And God said, no, I'm sending Jesus for you. So we can't forget the cost of Jesus' sacrifice because then it's so much easier to buy the lies of the devil. So when we think of a costly stone, please understand how beautifully, infinitely valuable and costly Jesus is. Or if your translation says precious, an equally beautiful way to describe Christ. Do we think about that? Do you describe Christ as precious in your life? Think about right now, think about what is most precious to you. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a grandchild or a grandparent. What lengths would you go to for that which is most precious to you? if my wife was threatened, there is nothing I wouldn't. I would give my life for my wife. Would I give my life for Christ? I mean, when we think of the preciousness of Christ, can we truthfully say Christ is the most valuable part of my life? I treasure my relationship with Christ above everything else. Above my role as a husband, above my role as a father, above my role as a friend, as an elder, whatever. I am a son of God and I value my relationship with Christ over everything else. And the way I live reflects that. Can we truthfully say that about ourselves? Is Christ precious to us? Is he cherished? Is he treasured within the very core and essence of who we are? God calls Christ a costly, precious cornerstone? Is he costly and precious in your life? And finally, he describes Christ as a sure foundation. A sure foundation. Think about that. Do you believe, do you know that Christ is a sure foundation? John 10.10 says this, The thief comes to kill and destroy, this is Jesus speaking. The thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Other translations say have it in the fullest. And that concept of abundantly is an overflowing cup. You have more than you know what to do with. It is a sure foundation. God was not interested in giving you just enough to get by for the day. God is not interested in doling out a meager ration that gets you through the shift. God is interested in giving you the abundance of life, life in the fullest, a foundation that cannot be shaken. Do we live in the confidence of that? I mean, do you live, do do I live daily in the confidence that I am standing on a foundation that cannot be budged? Because if my feet are planted on a foundation that's not going anywhere, what am I afraid of? What am I going to let stress me out? And yes, you're going to experience the emotions of stress and fear. I'm not saying the Christian life is magically void of any negative emotion. But we must understand the difference between the emotion of fear, the emotion of stress, the emotion of panic, the emotion of worry, and the spirit of stress, fear, worry. Because if I am standing on a sure foundation, I cannot have a spirit of fear. Because the foundation is not going anywhere. So if I have built my life on this foundation, I'm in good shape. I have loved reading Hebrews for the last couple of months. I've been spending about two months in Hebrews. Oh my goodness. Again, I reiterate it. Please read Hebrews this month. It's incredible. It is is phenomenal. Listen to what Hebrews says. This is in Hebrews 6, 17 through 20. And then we're going to be jumping to 722. Hebrews 6, 17 to 20. Listen, count how many times you hear a word or a phrase that implies certainty. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then you jump ahead to 722. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. There's not a single aspect of that that leaves a glimmer for a sliver for a chance of uncertainty. Jesus is the guarantor. God is unchangeable. The promise is unchangeable. The covenant is unchangeable. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. What's, what's the soul? Kind of weird. I'll be honest, right? You hear the soul and you're like, eh. Is that like a Christmas carol when the different souls come to it? What, right? Like we use soul, but have we ever defined it? Have we ever taken the time to understand soul? You know what the original word for soul translates as? Your passions, your cravings, your appetites. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anger for our passions. Think about what you're passionate about. I mean, what gets you most, oh, you bring that up, I'll go for two hours without taking a breath, right? Maybe it's music, maybe it's football, maybe it's, maybe it's politics, maybe it's literature, maybe it's cooking, maybe it's being outside. What is that which winds you up the most? What are you most passionate about? Is it Christ? Do we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for our passions, for our cravings, for our appetites? Because that's what we're promised in this sure foundation. That that which excites us and thrills us most is Christ. That is the sure foundation that cannot be budged. So in 6 and 7, we talk about the covenant. We talk about the promise. We're called heirs. Our inheritance is discussed. What are we heirs of? What are we inheriting, right? That's a pretty logical question. Hey, you got an inheritance. Okay, what is it? Let's jump forward. Let's jump up to Hebrews 12. We're going to be in Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, and then 28 and 29. Oh, my goodness, this passage. This passage gets me so excited. I'm going to try and get through it. (laughs) But you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen, This gets so cool. To innumerable angels in festal gathering. That's a fancy word of saying an infinite angels celebrating at a party, right? Innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And then we jump up to verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have been promised a kingdom that cannot be shaken because it is built on a foundation that cannot be shaken. You believe in heaven. I believe in heaven. right? But if I, do I take the time to think about that heaven Is innumerable angels in festal gathering it is the assembly of the firstborn it is God the judge of all and it is Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and that kingdom cannot be shaken and that is what's been promised to me and if you're a believer in Christ that's what's been promised to you that's pretty awesome I mean that gets that gets me excited Right, just thinking about that, imagine. Think of the best party you've ever been to. Now multiply that by infinite, innumerable angels. Guys, you are going to a party with innumerable angels, celebrating God being with you. I can't wait. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to get to heaven. Like, I, I cannot wait to get to that festal gathering and I believe it cannot be shaken. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the guarantor. Jesus is a sure foundation that promises the kingdom that cannot be shaken. How easily we let ourselves forget that. How easily, yeah, 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 Jesus can't be shaken. Hey, you lost your job. There goes half the family income. Where's Jesus? I thought this wasn't supposed to happen. We've got bad news about your test results. Where's Jesus? I thought this wasn't supposed to happen. So my question today is, have we internalized, do we truly know, do we truly believe in the very essence of who we are that Jesus is a sure foundation? That those who put their hope in him cannot be shaken, right? God said back in Isaiah 28, oh, there goes my bookmark, that's not good. God says, those who believe will not be in haste. And this comes right after 13 verses of contrasting it with those who have placed their faith in everything else. God is saying through Isaiah, he's saying, you've put your hope in in men? You've put your hope in political power? You've put your hope in riches? That was a hasty decision. You rushed into that, and when the whip comes, you're not going to withstand it. Because I am the one who has laid a stone. I have laid a tested cornerstone. I have laid a precious cornerstone. I have laid a sure foundation, and whoever believes in him will not be in haste. So the question I want you to take home with yourself today, it's pretty straightforward, but it's going to require a lot of guts to answer it honestly. What is the foundation of your life? What have have you built your life on? Have you built your identity on your roles, right? It's interesting to me when you meet new people. Hey, I'm Sam. Here's what I do. That's the first thing that pops to our mind when we meet somebody is this is what I do. What have you built your identity on? What is the foundation? What is the cornerstone of your life? The piece that holds everything else together. Is it Christ? Do you realize Christ is a tested foundation? Do you realize Christ is precious and costly? Do you realize Christ is sure and unchanging and unshakable? Because a lot of times we give lip service to it yeah I know those things does your day-to-day life reflect that the way you interact with the world around you if we looked at our lives would we see a life that's marked by an immediate surrender and submission to Christ I mean that verse in Hebrews says let us approach his throne with confidence knowing that we will find mercy and grace Do you approach the throne of God confidently? Or do we tend to approach it timidly? Hey, God, it's me again. Kind of screwed up. Will you maybe forgive me? Do we approach his throne with confidence? Because Jesus has been tested. He's costly. He's precious. If everything else in your life was taken away, but you still had Jesus, would that be okay with you? Good. That's a good answer. I pray it's true for all of us. Is Christ a sure foundation in your life? Or when financial woes, when physical woes, when mental woes, when family woes come against you, do we crumble? What is the foundation of your life? Is it Christ? If it is Christ, do you know Christ? Do you know his pains? Do you know his experiences? Can you say you know Christ? The heart of Christ. Matt's going to come up. He's going to play a little instrumental. Um, And in this time, just pray. Pray that maybe you've forgotten that Jesus is tested and you need that reminder. Maybe you're willing to admit that Jesus isn't precious to you and you need that conviction. Maybe you've forgotten that Jesus is sure and unchanging and you need that courage. I'll pray to start us. Matt will play a little bit, but take some time and pray. Spend some time before Christ. Ask Him that you would know Him. And after a bit, Matt will start singing. Feel free to join in. Feel free to keep praying, whatever you need. But let this be a time where we come before the foundation of our life and we're honest. Christ, we thank You for dying. I can't believe You went through the cross for me the love I can't even fathom that so let my life let our lives be an offering that shows how much we love and appreciate that if we need to be reminded that you're tested remind us so that we know you've been proven true if we need to be reminded how costly and precious you are show us so that we value you above everything else And if we're being weighed down by life and we need that reminder that you are a sure foundation, bolden us so that we can live in that confidence. We give you all the praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.